Hello, my name is Craig Burgess and this is Get Doing Things. This is a very special episode because on this episode I have got a guest for the first ever time on my podcast. He's called Elias. I'll let him fill himself in a little bit more in a minute. But the reason I'm doing this is every Tuesday from now on I'm going to have a guest. Probably somebody who I randomly find somewhere on Twitter or somewhere else. And it's going to be a 45 45 minutes unplanned conversation. I haven't prepared for this conversation. Elias might have. But I haven't. So let's actually talk about some stuff. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know if this is even going to be good. But anyway, let's go. Hello, Craig. It's good to see you again. I know. We're doing this. The, well, the, I should mention as well on the podcast, you won't know this because you're listening to it, but we're actually live streaming this, thanks to Elias. We're live streaming this on Periscope, which is Twitter, basically. We're live streaming this right now so people can see our faces, and I'll hopefully upload this to YouTube later on. Is there even a way for me to grab this off, off Periscope afterwards? Yes. So because you are streaming this out to Periscope, big feature that a lot of people don't know about with Periscope, you can go into your video production dashboard later and grab the MP4 file. From there, you can take it and upload it to wherever you want to. Ah, right. I see. So the reason Elias knows things about live streaming and stuff is because it's kind of your deal, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I've been... So we just actually, before we went live, we were just talking about, uh, it was just uh, Yom Kippur, Kol Nidre, the big Jewish high holy days. We just finished doing a series of eight live streams for one of our local synagogues here in London, Ontario. The less cool London, I know you're over in the UK. (laughs) And we were simulcasting out to Facebook and YouTube from Zoom. Something Zoom supports one at a time normally, but you need some custom software if you want to do it to both at the same time. And that's the tech that we've developed at our side on on Tractus Event Passport. We've got the tech that we can stream to Facebook and YouTube and Periscope. And I think the last one of the tests we did, we were able to stream to Microsoft Stream, which is a corporate streaming service. Yeah, I've been. You know what? I've been impressed by Zoom, right? With with the whole live streaming thing, it's every, Zoom is a part of everybody's lives now, whether you like it or not. Even if you don't even use it as a business thing, everybody's got a Zoom account. Zoom is now the word for live, uh, not live streams, for actually talking to someone in a video call. You don't say video call anymore; you say Zoom. And I accidentally stumbled upon the live stream settings. I didn't even know it did it, and I was planning to do a thing, uh, basically a quiz online that we were going to live stream to YouTube and I was looking at OBS and I was looking at all all the other live streaming things. It turns out Zoom just did it. I didn't even know this. Yeah, the Zoom, I mean, they added that just so randomly one day that all of a sudden the settings just sort of appeared and it was like, oh, wait a minute, Zoom does that? That's really cool. So it's, you know kind of a random thing but it it, it works 
And then I've just discovered as, as well that Zoom also does custom live stream services, which is what we're using. We're using yours right now. I didn't even know it did that. I thought I was just stuck with YouTube, Facebook, and randomly Facebook Workplace, and um, and and that was it. I thought that was the only options that I had. Pretty good. Yeah, like all you can, if you've got something that can spit out an RTMP stream, which is like the de facto format for live streaming, if it can spit out an RTMP stream, you can aim zoom at it, or if it can ingest, excuse me, if it can ingest an RTMP stream, you can just point zoom at that ingest point and boom, you're done, you're streaming. I've never heard somebody say ingest so excitedly before we uh, started this. <laughs> The ingest is forthcoming. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say ingest before, actually. <laughs> well, I, I mean, to be fair, I just learned, I'm, I've been learning of these terms in the last, I'd say, few weeks. Like, we just, we used to just call it stream points or whatever terminology it was. But then I learned that the official terminology is ingest and egress. And we've been using that because bandwidth is a thing. So one of the biggest that's one of the biggest challenges has been, um, and I think this is where Zoom's really clever, is they make really good use of your bandwidth. Like not everybody's got good upload speeds, but because everything passes through Zoom first and they do the video mixing on their side, it really, as long as you can get video over to Zoom, they basically take care of the rest. It's great. Yeah, I was surprised by that because that was the thing I was worried about. Um, the fact that I was live streaming something through Zoom I thought, well, what if my internet starts getting rubbish? And it did. It did start getting rubbish throughout it, but it, it still seemed to manage and everything seemed to go pretty smoothly. I was, I am, I'm quite a technical guy and, well, uh, I run a web design agency, so I'm pretty technical. So when I learn about these things, I, I want to go all in. I want to learn about the techniques. I want to learn the words ingest and things like that. And I want to know about how everything works. And since I discovered Zoom doing it, even though this sounds like an advert for Zoom, it isn't an advert for Zoom. Um, since I figured Zoom does live streams, I've left it at that, to be honest. Yeah, it's, I find that people are also using Zoom. I mean, Zoom, I just saw a comedy routine about this, how it was, it's a comedy routine about, you know, the people sitting around the Skype boardroom trying to figure out what the hell went wrong. <laughs> because in just a few months, it's the verb has gone from Skype to Zoom. Just like you said in the intro, it's like we don't Skype each other, we Zoom each other now. Yeah. But people are using it to run full conferences and online events and webinars. Like they are absolute. I think uh, Citrix, who owns GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar, they are screwed, in my opinion. Zoom is just better. I, I think the I think the thing that's missing at the minute with Zoom because when I I tried to do these quizzes and. We also did um, a couple of PowerPoint evenings. So, so there's this local event near my uh, near where I live. Have you ever heard of Pachacacha or Petricucha before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a I did a talk at one of those a couple of years ago when we were able to meet in person. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I I, I love Pachacachas. They're a load of fun, and there's a local event near me called Better Culture, which do a version of Pachacachas, and I, I know the guy who runs them and obviously COVID hit and there was no more events. So I suggested let's do, let's figure out a way to do a live one. 
let's do a live stream one. Everybody be sat in the houses at home and people will do the presentations through Zoom. And then I found the Zoom live stream stuff and it all worked pretty seamlessly. But I think the thing that's missing from Zoom at the minute, and you might be able to correct me on this, is like um, is like a TV producer type role. When you're in a Zoom call and you are the live stream master, that you can't really control who's live on the screen at the time and things like that. Unless you can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, so so they've actually again, this is something they keep adding these features and not really documenting them. I find so. With the production that we just did with the High Holy Days, we wanted to be able to I'll, – I'll give you a perfect example. At the end of one of the services, there's the blowing of the shofar, which is the ram's horn, and that signifies the introduction of the new year. And what this synagogue wanted to do was a shofar relay where one family blew theirs, and then we cut to another family blowing theirs, and then we cut to another family, and then we cut back to the rabbi. Okay. And on Zoom by default, whoever's talking, that's whose video is going to get displayed on the live stream. Yeah. But in the most recent versions of Zoom, they've added something called Spotlight. And when you spotlight somebody, that's the video feed that will show up on everybody's feed and the live video feed when it goes out to the world. Yeah. Yeah. So you can so you can right click right click or do the more on somebody in the list and say spotlight that person's video. Yeah, yeah, I discovered I discovered that when I was trying to do it, but we on some of them we are like um, ten presenters, for example, and me fiddling through the little options and trying to find the right dots and the right name and things and doing it all in a rush because basically the way it went is the format was we had the host who introduced the person, and then the presentation kicked in. So I went through all kind of complicated ways of trying to figure it out. I, I had Zoom set up on my iPad that only had the slides on, and I was going to pull them in as a presenter because the, the ultimate thing I wanted to do was I wanted to show them in the corner and show the slides big. But the when you set things to be full screen, it only shows them in tiny in the top corner, and sometimes I wanted to change it. The closest thing I've come to this so far, and um, somebody introduced this to me, uh, Brian on Twitter introduced it to me, is mm-hmm. Have you heard of mm-hmm? I have not. Tell me more about this. So mm-hmm is basically a presentation, um, a presentation app i guess uh, i'm trying to think what it's closest to i can't even think what it's closest to anyway the way the way that it works is it's designed to help you make better presentations so so what it does is you you throw in a load of slides or images or videos or any kind of content and you know what i might actually be able to switch to it while live while we're doing this so i now i'm talking ah, should, i've just pulled it up i should change now to uh, you should see my face yes. in the corner, <laughs> and there's a, a London sky there, uh, and I've switched that to the the mm -hmm camera inside Zoom, and I can flick through my slides in here, and I can make myself bigger and smaller, and move me around and things like this, um, and you can basically do really kind of slick presentations over of Zoom. That would have solved everything that I needed when we were doing those presentations, but I didn't know about it then. And it's not been around too long, I don't think. 
but uh, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's horrifically annoying to say because in the middle of a sentence you've got to go mm-hmm rather than it being a word and it's really hard to stop yourself to stay sound in the middle of a sentence but it's pretty cool it's definitely worth checking out so that's one option another one you can try is and maybe we can link to this somewhere in the show notes once we've got this posted i'll send you the link to it there's a tech blogger, Scott Hanselman. He actually breaks down how you can use open broadcaster software as a camera source to Zoom so that you can do your desktop sharing, you can do your webcam sharing, uh, all the special effects you want to, transitions and everything as through your camera. And then because that's going, because that's your camera source in Zoom, then you can do everything that you were just talking about. That, mm mm-hmm, app looks a lot more i'd say probably for for the average person who's putting on a stream of some sort way more friendly obs is it's gotten better but it's still freaking complicated like you really need to know what you're doing with obs i i I must open it every couple of weeks and try and work things out and i've been procuring more equipment like new cameras and things like that to get myself ready and I, i open up obs and i'm like oh my god this is just not user friendly is is the best way of putting it Well, it's really designed for, here's the thing. I really dig OBS, but that's because I've got a broadcast background. Like we, I've worked in the broadcast industry. I've worked in audiovisual producing live events since, oh God, pretty much high school at this point. So that kind of environment, if you're from a broadcast background, that environment makes perfect sense. If you're just coming to it from, I want to share my desktop and I want to share my camera, OBS, it's a steep learning curve. Yeah, I, I think we, we that's where I'm finding myself now. I enjoy making podcasts and I'm moving into making some videos and then I'm trying to work out live streams and things like that. And then I bought one of these Stream Deck things that I haven't even set up yet. And I'm all, always trying new kit and upgrading kit and trying to learn how to do things. And I think because I'm missing the broadcasting background... And because I don't know the technical side of some of the stuff, it can make it quite difficult for me to set some of them up. Um, the first thing that's made it easier for me is the uh, the Roadcaster Pro, a brilliant piece of kit. Mm. It's kind of semi-broadcast, semi-not. And because I know quite a lot about audio now, I know how to use it how I want to. But it's super user-friendly. I mean, it's expensive, but it's really, really user-friendly. That thing straddles between uh, somebody who's just trying to get the message out there as well as nearly being a full broadcast thing and i don't i haven't seen anything yet for the video side that really straddles it other than the uh the mevo plus thing that i bought recently as well well yeah i mean on the video side like welcome to the nightmare that we've had on my video and video <laughs> production on pcs since freaking forever like it's always been a nightmare i've been trying to produce these things since like 04 and like it's it's never been easy part of the problem is that video itself is not i mean video used to be a hard thing when we were in the analog world thank god we're out of that because like <laughs> before it was just you had to mess with gen locking and syncing up your sources and ntsc versus pal and uh, forget it at least when everything's digital it's not bad the road that roadcaster uh the roadcaster pro man like it's 
it's an expensive piece of kit if you look at it just from a just at the price like it's what 800 dollars, 500 600 pounds is that yeah, roughly yeah, about think, what it is i think 550 like, i paid for it yeah but like if you think about it because i'm looking at my equipment rack here so i've got a uh xlr audio device you know those are 50 to 80 bucks each you could easily spend 100 dollars on that i've got the effects rack uh, a compressor and a equalizer and i mean that's 150 bucks per yeah. and that's only two channels worth of compression and eq but now you're talking about you have an all-in-one device that you can apply your digital effects to and whatever you want like the compression equalization um, limiter expander gate like all that equipment alone could easily be the price when you when you think about what you actually get in the box it's a beautiful piece of kit plus you have the audio playback too like you played the intro to this podcast using it right yeah oh it's amazing with with the sound uh the sound pads they're so easy to use so easy to set uh, and it's also got the apex effects in there as well the two most popular apex effects i've got them running right now uh the these yeah. these two effects that i've got on my voice nearly almost exactly match the secret sauce i usually put on in audition it's pretty much the same um and it, and as far as i know it's the full effects that's in there as well and i looked them up before i bought the roadcaster um to buy a rack just with a big bottom it's still an hilarious name to to buy the big bottom thing i think for for just two for two inputs i think it's two or three hundred or something like that i think it might even be a bit more but it was expensive oh oh easy and if you're if you're talking about like a, a power digital mixer too like you could easily be into the four digit range easy but there's still nothing like that for video on the market i mean nothing well that's not quite true there's nothing that is in the sub one thousand dollar range for video your best bet on the video side is still for all intents and purposes obs yeah like you can set if you set up obs correctly and like the way that i've got things set up here is i've got this camera here for the people listening to the audio version of this i'm pointing at the camera that i'm looking at i've also got another usb camera capture card similar to an elgato but it's just a generic 30 dollar capture card works perfectly fine actually be hard pressed to tell the difference there's a little bit of lag but it's not bad for you could you could certainly spend 30 dollars a lot worse and that powers another camera that i'm actually going to be making my full-time camera soon and then with obs i've got it set up so that i've got a couple of scenes set up and i mean if you if we want to go down the obs path and, and talk about some of the basics of obs uh, i'm more than happy to I think it'd probably lose some people, to be honest. I, I'd I'd love to geek out over it, but it it is is mega complicated. And I, I think the there's the Streamlabs, isn't there? Streamlabs OBS, which is a little bit simpler. Yeah, Streamlabs OBS a little bit simpler. I mean, fundamentally in OBS, you have you have three major concepts to to keep in mind. You have scenes, and you have so you have your scenes you have your video recording and you have your streaming and your scenes is 
how you, that's what you define. Here's what I want to show up on my output. When I stream out to YouTube or when I stream out to Facebook or when I'm recording this video, what do I want to appear in the video? And kind of like in PowerPoint, how you drag, say, text boxes or shapes onto the canvas to lay out your PowerPoint slide, you sort of do the same thing on a scene. You add different sources. Those sources might be a video capture device like a webcam or a USB uh, camera capture. It might be an audio device like your microphone input. It might be a window capture. Actually, so that's how when we did our podcast together on Let's Solve the Universe, lstpodcast.com, when we did our podcast together and I did the video segment, I actually had Zoom as the Zoom window that we were meeting in as a source to OBS. And then OBS was streaming live over to YouTube. Got it. So on that, on that scene for Let's Solve the Universe podcast, I had a, on that scene, I had a title source, which was LSTU podcast featuring Craig Burgess. Then I had the window capture source, which was our Zoom window. So kept it very simple. And then in the settings, pointed OBS at the YouTube ingest URL, which is they give you a specific link that starts with RTMP colon whack whack. It's an address where you send the video to. And then there's a stream key, which says here's, which is basically like your stream password for YouTube. Yeah, that makes it sound much simpler <laughs> than it is. But I think it's the interface that makes it more complicated. The interface hides a lot. It's it's a lot. What I found is that you're going to be right-clicking a lot in OBS. As soon as you start right-clicking on that scene list, as soon as you're right-clicking on that source list, all of a sudden the different menu options are going to come up, um, and and you can start adding sources to that scene fairly easily. Yeah. I noticed I bought the Mevo, as I mentioned, the Mevo Plus camera, which is um, basically a little camera that's that's not very big at all. That's um, I'm trying to think of it, a sample a banana for scale thing. Half a banana. Let's call it half a banana. That's how big it is. Um, and, and the thing with the Mevo Plus is that it live streams straight from the camera. And also, straight from the camera, you've got a, a companion app that goes with it that you can basically set, because it's 4K, you can set um, portions of the screen to essentially be different cameras, which is which is really cool. Um, and I, and I, I really liked the way that it looked, but I don't like that it's wireless, for number one. Uh, and when I was messing with it to, to try it out, because I was... I was thinking of, of ways uh, to be able to do it with Zoom and stuff. I was going to just set, I was going to point the camera at me and Zoom and just zoom into Zoom with the camera. Um, when I was testing it out over the wireless, it kept dropping. It kept dropping from my phone. And I, I thought, there's a way to plug it in. And you can plug it in and use it directly as a webcam and still get the features of zooming in and out to different parts. But the, it only works at 340p. So that's 340 pixels. So it's half a quarter of the quality of HD, which is rubbish. Ew, that's gross. 
Yeah, I mean, they say it's because it's a beta software and, and they're working on improving it and things like that, but it's it's rubbish when you've got a, a 4K camera, which is double the size of HD, um, and you can only use a quarter of the size of HD because, anyway, that's kind of geeky, geeky moaning. First world well, problems. When you, but when you think about what the, because I, I know that Mevo camera and I've been tracking that company for a while. When you look at what that camera was originally produced for, it was never really made for live streaming in the first place. You know, they really targeted it towards you're recording a video or you're a YouTuber yeah. that records a bunch of videos and you, you're, you want to produce in 1080p, but you want to have multi cameras, but you don't want to go out and buy two, three, four cell phone cameras or camcorders you can use this and and split that up into multiple segments yeah and it's kind of halfway there but the other two other things that really annoy me about it and then we'll talk about something else because i'm feeling quite bitter about spending 350 quid on this damn thing two two other two other things that really annoy me number one is the the mevo plus which they they they're not saying it is out of date or anything like that but it's they're definitely phasing it out because they don't want you to buy it because um, they're not providing the same updates to the Mevo Plus, even though it's a superior camera, which annoyed me. But because of that, it means there is no direct audio input on the back of it either. So the only thing it's got is a power cable. So you plug the power cable in and you can plug it into a wall so it doesn't die. But if I've, I've been trying to work out a way to get the roadcaster to connect to the Mevo, so I could just make a YouTube, make a make a video of my podcast with the Rodecaster audio straight into it, totally done, no, no linking them up, it would be dead easy, but you have to link it to your, uh, your phone or your iPad, so you've got to connect the Rodecaster to the phone, which is wirelessly, then wirelessly transmitting the image and the audio, and it's just, it's such a faff, when they could have just said you know what guys let's just let them have some cables you know <laughs> let's, just, let's just put some parts on it so they can plug it into things it's ridiculous and the other thing finally is that in one of the recent updates i think that, um is it live stream the company that own mevo I think, yes i believe so yes i think that i think they're called live stream anyway vimeo have bought live stream i don't know how recently this happened but they have, which means that now, if you want to do any of the more advanced features, you've got to sign up for a £70 per month live stream account, which is a Vimeo account, which you can only sign up monthly, and they don't let you do it. You know, so it's like 800 quid, 900 quid or something off the bat to test the features that I don't even know that I want. It's just annoying me. Yeah, I, I hear you. That might be why when you go to the Mevo website now, you just see the Mevo start. So you don't even, yeah. I was trying to find, it's like they don't even acknowledge that the Mevo 4K or the Mevo Pro exists. Like you just go to the website and it's, it's the Mevo start. Yeah, I, I noticed and now, that. And I, yeah. I, I had to buy it off eBay and I bought one brand new off eBay because the features of the Mevo that I want is I'm basically going to put it at the end of the desk when I'm doing... Um, podcast with other people in the same room that i'm in i'm going to put it at the end of the desk and use it as two cameras and i'm going to record it straight to the mevo and it'll still work fine for that but i was just 
experimenting with the other features and seeing what it's got. And it's it's kind of annoying because the the live stream service, the Vimeo live stream service, looks fantastic, but they don't let you access it unless you unless you stump up that cash, and it's a lot of cash to stump up to try it. Oh, a big yeah, big time. So I'm not I'm not convinced that that's going to be the way to do live streams. That Mevo Start looks a lot more compelling, and it looks like a pretty decent webcam too. Price tag is up there. You do get audio capture on it, though. They give you a three and a half millimeter jack, which is nice. So you can use a regular microphone with it, thank thankfully. Yeah. And it does like it does have a USB-C connector, so you can actually use it. It's a legit webcam source. You plug it in, and it it does behave like a webcam. Or you can use it standalone, do the live streaming, have an external microphone, or in your case, plug in the roadcaster to it, and and it it just works trademark so it looks better but 1080p so you lose that multi-camera idea that you have with the mevo pro yeah it still offers the multi-cam thing the multi-cam idea but obviously it's zooming into a 1080p source so the quality is twice as bad as it would be on the other one yeah strange, oh well strange move lose win some you lose some i suppose yeah I think we've definitely talking about everything to do with live streaming there. Unless there's other things you want to say. Oh my God. I mean, I can talk about live streaming <laughs> and live events all day, man. Um, it's because it, we're produ like over here in Canada land, we're producing more and more of them every single day. Um, I've got companies that keep approaching me and just saying, Hey, we have our normally we're just about on, on top of regular conference season. This is around the time of year when it starts. And then like January, February, March, April is prime convention season. And people are making contingency plans. I, there's, I'm, I've found that there's a lot of folks that are saying, you know what, we're, we're going to hold on and see, maybe we'll be able to meet in February, March, maybe April company. So I'll give you a little background companies like Microsoft, they've canceled their 2021 events full stop. So they're not doing any in-person events right now. Um, you've got, I've got other conferences that uh, we're helping them go online with a fully immersive conference. And like, they're already, like we're in the early planning stages and they're already looking at this and going, we may make more money off of this <laughs> than we ever did in person. Yeah. Well, well, you, you know, you know what the, I prefer the digital conference to an in-person conference, especially if I can visit the conference the day after that it's been on, because I don't want to sit and watch loads of boring talks that inevitably happens, at least one or two, and they're usually 45 minutes long, and it's a long time to sit there and be bored, yeah, and I, pre I prefer, I think the conference idea is, is perfect for splitting the talks up and delivering them all in a package and letting it basically on demand. They are perfect for on demand consumption. Well, you think about, think about this. When we were able to meet in person and you went to a conference, you were basically doing that for two or three days. Like your mind was focused on the content on the conference. Maybe you had to step aside for a few minutes to go take a phone call or answer an urgent email, but you were immersed in that content. When you're at home, completely the other way around. You are 
there's cell phones, there's kids, there's the neighbors, there's the, the, the Amazon person delivering your package of things that you forgot that you ordered. There's a million distractions at home. And like, quite, quite frankly, there are some people that like they can't shell out the time during the day to attend an online conference or they feel weird about it. Just like you said, they want to do that on demand or maybe they watch that on-demand um, content. This is what I've seen. People watch the on-demand content and then the next day, the organizers have the speakers back to do an ask me anything Q&A session. And that's all the speaker does. They're just, it's 60 minutes of them just answering questions. And they get huge engagement from that. And it's way better than any, because like at a conventional conference, what happens every single damn time? The, the session's 60 minutes long, the speaker goes on for 55 minutes and then asks, are there any questions as the conference staff are wheeling out the friggin' coffee? Like, no, nobody's gonna ask, everybody's got questions, but everybody's also hungry and wants to refuel. Like, what the hell are you gonna answer in five minutes? I, 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 th I also think that the whole idea of a conference talk that lasts 45 to sometimes an hour and a half, the, these talks last that long. We just patently do not have the attention span for them anymore. Even when I went to conferences, I've been to a ton of conferences, even when I think about going to them 10 years ago, when things weren't as bad as they are now, I, I mean, I, I was still an active internet user, but I don't think my attention span had been destroyed as much as it has now. Even back then, if the person who is uninteresting in any way, in the first five minutes, you switched off. And, yeah. uh, and, I, and I think now, 10 years on from that, where none of us have got an attention span and most of us can barely read a book, the the 45 minute conference talk is almost just an ego thing for the speaker is nothing else unless you are a really engaging speaker i think the 45 minutes idea of where you just talk at somebody for 45 minutes i think it's gone no well there's a there's a big reason why the ted talk format is so successful it's like that for that amount of time is about the amount of time you've got for somebody's attention span. If you th if you can fit your content into eighteen or twenty two minutes, and then have extra. The biggest thing with every conference I've ever been to is that if you as a speaker can have can be under time, like you budget, you, you've got a thirty minute time slot, and you deliver your content in twenty two minutes, people will stick around and ask questions, and you'll go overtime with that. Yeah, but if you're a minute over your 30 minutes, they will crucify you. People love it when you're early at, at conferences. Yeah. The, the last the last one I did, um, it was a, it was a developer conference, and 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 I'm and I'm mostly a, a, a designer these days, mostly a digital designer, mostly a graphic designer. You'd probably call me, uh, and the conference was a developer conference, and I was the last person on in the day. I didn't know I was going to be the last person on. Uh, some some things switched around at the end and I ended up being last on. So I was the, the like quote unquote headline act, which which was ridiculous. Um, and so I, I went on last and all of the rest of the day were very dev heavy talks and there were people who had never given a talk before uh, and they, they might have done client presentations and things like that, but they didn't understand how to make their topic interesting. The fact that you are interested with a topic doesn't make it interesting to other people. So many people don't understand that. And 
As the day went on, everyone was slumping and slumping down in the chair like this. All the way through. And by the way, for the podcast, I was slumping in my chair then. Um, every, <laughs> everybody was slumping down the chair. And I was looking at the time and thinking, I, I was meant to be on at five o'clock. And it got to four o'clock. And the person who was on at four to half four ran over by 10 minutes. So that was 40 minutes. And then the person after that, who was meant to finish at five, now obviously had 20 minutes. And they ran over by five minutes. So... I went on at quarter past five. People had already left. I was going on with the most controversial topic of the day. I was basically saying everything is too complicated and you should stop doing what you're doing. Um, listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, I went on at quarter past five and I think I probably finished at about 25 to six or half five or something. I just basically sped through it and I said, I'll cut a bunch of content out. I won't do my talk just because just because of my ego. I'll... I'll I'll finish on time. I'll make sure we finish on time. Uh, and I, I kind of raced through it and people appreciated it and it actually made the talk better because it was it was shorter. And it meant that I, in that split second, I had to cut everything out that I, I knew was padding pretty much. And I think the talk ended up lasting 15 or 20 minutes or something like that. And that was the talk that I, that I was talking about earlier that I live streamed a magic trick in. So there was two bits in it that, the magic tricks was probably the longest bit. Um, and I managed managed to get it under time and people appreciated it because I, I wasn't dragging on like the other the other people. And people know when you're dragging on at conferences because they see it all the time and they just want you to stop, but they won't stop. They just keep talking, Elias. They just keep talking and people hate it. They do. It. <laughs> they do. And it's the worst thing, like... Uh. But that's but I but I mean this is why even after the pandemic is done and we can meet in person, I think it's one of the reasons why we won't. I just I don't see. I know this is going to be a controversial opinion. I know there's going to be a bunch of event planners that will want my head on a stake. I am going to draw a line in the sand right now and say that I don't think I think the days of your traditional conference and trade show are done. I think that was an industry that, whether we like to admit it or not, has had a lot of problems in the past. We haven't really acknowledged them. We've kind of done things the way we have because that's just the way we've done things. It works. You know, people like to say that, you know, oh, well, there's networking opportunities at these events. And, you know, what about the in-person and the mingling? And it's like, yeah, well, what about it? What about, like, what about being in the same space is so freaking special? Like we've learned, like every time I've been to a conference, inevitably I get sick. Like that's just how that goes. Even before the pandemic, like that just always happens. There's the fact that you never have enough time to really chat at the conference. Like, yes, you can have those kind of chance encounters. But one segment of the population that is really badly served by your traditional conference is the first timer, the newbie. Like if you don't have a good onboarding process for the new person that's coming to your conference, there's a very good reason why the turnover rate for your, for most conferences for sponsors and attendees is around 40%. Like 40% of people that go to your conference for the first time, don't go again the next year. They're not seeing the value. And part of it is because if you're new and you're trying to figure out who should I meet, who should I talk to, who are kind of the movers and shakers, how do I network here? I mean, if you're network, if 
your networking break is the same as your coffee break and you have to do your networking and coffee and bathroom breaks in that 15 minutes between sessions, not going to happen. You're not going to actually go and meet with anybody new, really. I mean, you might get a chance if it's a multi-day conference. If it's a one-day conference, you're basically screwed if you're new. And yeah. just on the cost side alone, Craig, oh, holy ridiculous. crap, our conference is expensive. I, I only go to the cheap ones, and the cheap ones are still 150 to sometimes 300 Okay, so that's the ticket price that you've paid. So mm. now you got to get there. And mm. if the conference is local, well, okay, transportation's not too bad. Maybe, you know, a bit of your gas, or in your case, a bit of petrol, or, you know, a bus ticket or something like that, which is not too bad. But now let's take a look at it as an exhibit. If you're exhibiting at a conference, I've exhibited at conferences. You've got your $1,500 for the booth. If you want something really exquisite like electricity, that's usually another couple hundred dollars. If you, God forbid, you should want some Wi-Fi. Why would we ever need that? You know, that's going to be an extra charge and it doesn't work ever. Um, You've got that. You've got your shipping and drayage. You've got to get all your printed materials there. You have to get the materials printed, which is a huge cost. Then you have to get yourself there. You have to keep yourself in. You have to book a hotel. So there's hotel fees. You have to have third-party liability insurance. Not a huge expense, but it's still an expense. I know conference. I know exhibitors that on a $1,500 booth, they're in ten grand just to get there. Yeah, and that insane. that's just going to exclude a huge portion of the market. And it's like you you have to get if you're saying like okay we exhibit at this trade show, we need to get at least say we're going to have to make at least ten grand on new leads to make this worth it. And like a lot of times it's that's just not oh oh and then another one this is one of my biggest pet peeves, and and this is like lead retrieval is the biggest friggin' scam in the whole event industry, bar none. Exhibitors having to pay $500 for the luxury of knowing who visited their booth? Are you joking? Are you kidding me? On top of all the fees and extras that they gotta pay, now they gotta pay $500 for the privilege of having a list of emails? I didn't even Bugger know that off. was a thing. I didn't know you had to pay for your own leads. Yeah, how freaking wow. ridiculous is that? <laughs> so that's, and so, Unless, and again, unless you have, unless you're a veteran at this and you have your own lead retrieval system, like you're collecting business cards, you have a, you know, you, you've actually done some time and homework and figured out how to uh, mark these leads down so that you could follow up with them. Like most people are not trained in that. They're just not. And so they walk away and go, well, that was a colossal waste of time and money. We're not going to go back to that next year. No, they just find a different conference and hope that it's the different different next time. Yeah. Or you do online, you pay a grand for your virtual booth, and you're done. Mm. So all of a sudden, take your conference budget. Maybe your conference budget for the year is $100,000. Shrink it down to 50K. So you've saved, so you've redirected 50K value to somewhere else in your business. So say your online booths are 1000 to 1500 bucks a pop. So instead of going to, say, five or 10 conferences this year, you can go to 50 or 100 conferences for the same amount of money. How freaking cool is that? I, I completely agree with you. I think it's, it's come down to the same things that I've seen. So this, the whole coronavirus thing hit in about, well, it was 
exactly March 19th. I don't think I'll ever forget that date. Um, in the UK, it was March 19th. He's chopping out. Oh, am I back? Are we there? Yep. Yeah. Yep, you're back. Oh, it's saying that my internet connection's unstable. Well, well we're still live and streaming, so you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, I think it, it kind of comes down to the networking thing, like, like you said. Uh, and there is there is way more value with networking online than there is in person. Why would you limit yourself to meeting 30 people in a room? Or if it's a conference, it, they tell you it's hundreds, but it's never really hundreds. Why would you limit yourself to 30 people when you can potentially meet the entirety of the internet? Or rather, you are not limited by any kind of numbers because the internet is huge. And you just join another community or go on Twitter and network with people on Twitter. The The idea of this, and I think this is the biggest thing that COVID has probably changed with people's mindsets, is the idea of this local thinking where you only, you're limited to a, a mileage range around your own body it is is insane to think that now and i thought like that before march we for genius division our agency we've completely worked locally for the last 10 years and and, and done pretty well out of it and then this whole thing has just in terms of a business opportunity has highlighted to me all the stuff i've been missing all this time the the potential of networks outside of your local networks is just exponential compared to just going to a conference because even even with the conference thing um, you you are limited uh, to a certain region of mileage uh, you know you might end up going to a conference in America or whatever and I might go to a conference in America but that's a big a big shift for me I wouldn't be able to really do that I could but it cost a lot of money and a lot of time Whereas now I could potentially visit any conference and also any networking opportunity anywhere in the world at any time. And that's really quite exciting. Well, look at you and I. I mean, you're over in Britain. I'm over here in Canada land, Britain Jr. And we met up on Twitter through a couple of direct messages and we did a podcast together. Now we're doing this podcast together. Like it's it's just crazy the amount of potential that is out there that really was scoffed at for a while and is now like, hey, this is freaking awesome. We don't, I mean, I can give you another story of a local, uh, I was working with an insurance company. They, so they're, they're having one of their best years, oddly enough. They're, one of their top salespeople is just selling life policy after life policy after life policy. But here's the kicker. So this guy, normally the company pays for uh, dinners, whining and dining, special events, car mileage, car lease, like all this stuff. He's booking all of his calls over Zoom, over Facebook Live, whatever service he needs to use. Having his absolute best year bar none with none of the expenses. You don't think companies are going to look at that and go, hmm, why are we paying all these you know, extra perks when we would just rather pay our people to begin with? Yeah, and, and pe people, a lot of people are still waiting for things to return back to normal. They think there's some magical normal that's going to hit. But the way that coronavirus has affected our lives in so many different ways, from meeting people online, from getting more used to using Zoom, from um, learning about the potential of the internet and all these other kinds of things, 
there isn't a normal that we're going to return to. There just isn't. My, my default meeting type now is Zoom. And it often, it often isn't because, uh, because of coronavirus, because I could meet people in person if I wanted to. They prefer it because it's more convenient. I prefer it because it's more convenient. My travel time to the meeting is reduced to about 10 seconds instead of 30 minutes. Why would you pick any other method? this isn't yeah. returning to normal. Yeah, it's, if there's one, that's the exact comment I keep hearing time and time again with online events is the travel time, is people do not miss that whole getting, you know when we're really going to appreciate this, because we just had the summer, and the summer was, it was a pretty good summer, all things considered. You know when we're going to really appreciate this? January, middle of February, right after a massive snowstorm, and it is business as usual. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's just strange to think of what's going to happen when we do consider that coronavirus is, is, is very low and it's not really a threat anymore. I'm just really interested to see what's going to happen. Might be six months time, might be 12 months time, but it's going to be really interesting to see where the world has, has gone, where we've end, where we've ended up, what our... I hate the phrase, but what our new normal is. Um, yeah, it's strange times. Don't and and think too that, like people that because we're of a certain generation. Like I'm in my thirties, you're in your thirties. Like we're, um, you know, we've mostly grown up with this technology. But then the generation ahead of us, there or behind us, or I don't know how that works. Uh, the younger generation, let's say. I mean, they've grown up with broadband internet access since the time they can remember. You know, they are digital first. And our generation and maybe slightly our generation plus or minus about 10 years, they're starting to enter the reins of power. So this and and they're used to meeting online. Like no offense to the con, again, not to bang on about conferences and how dead they are. But like a lot of the conferences I went to in the last, I want to say three years when with Tractus Event Passport, when we were doing the in-person conferences, in if I look at the demographics, solidly, majority of people were in their 50s or over. They were not being replaced by the younger generation. I kept noticing this time and time again. Yeah. And, you, and now with the online conferences, we're seeing a totally different demographic sometimes. And you you got to consider the other things too, like the the Netflixifying of everything in our lives. Um, that has fundamentally shifted almost any kind of video that you can think of. It, the idea that you can pay some kind of subscription and get access to something whenever you want, basically the on-demand model has changed, changed so many things. And it, it, it's the old medium is the message thing. We think things have irreversibly changed. We've all got used to Zoom. We've all got used to video calling. We've all got used to Netflix. We've all got used to on demand. Unfortunately, we've all got used to subscription payments, which still piss me off endlessly. But we've all got <laughs> all got used to the whole idea of that thing. Those things are not getting retracted anytime soon. People are not going to say, you know what, you know what, let's put on a. a a conference that's in a building with no Wi-Fi and no internet and no on-demand service and we won't record the talks and let's charge $3,000 for a ticket. <laughs> Nobody's going to be buying that. No, it's, it's, it's not going to be, a, you're not going to sell that. 
it's those kinds again those kinds of conferences and like here's another dirty little secret of the conference industry is like for the longest time it's not the money has not been made on the ticket sales it has been you break even with all your sponsorships and exhibitor sales and whatever you sell for tickets is the little bit of money that the little bit of profit that you eke out online it's totally different you get some sponsors like for the price of what you were paying for say your audiovisual setup depending on what kind of conference you were running you can do a full service production where your sessions are recorded you can do live streaming do group chat like all the good stuff is there and you don't have to worry about producing any of it and like good luck when we return to in person good luck trying to convince the venue that you know well i want to record all these sessions you're going to have to fork out a lot of money to do that yeah and it's it's just it's just not going to work especially after you know the the other one is a lot of the we're we just got through kind of the first wave of these online events and people like them you know the expectations were low to start with but people like them more than they thought they would yeah yeah that, that's that's a really interesting a really interesting point as well that when you replicate some of the in-person things uh, and you do it online it turns out that it's much better and you can also network with anybody you want as well at the same time as, as watching a talk and stuff like that you suddenly you don't have to be silent anymore either which probably annoys some people as well didn't really ever annoy me but i'd imagine if you're not the kind of person to sit in silence for an entire day potentially multiple days uh you're not the kind of person who sits down and watches watches a movie the, the whole thing doesn't work for you does it no well and but it also doesn't work for people that say again the first time conference attendee or somebody who's an introvert for example like that's that is not your jam at all if you've and 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 that's not to say anything of you know people that may have uh different impairments such as uh, hearing impaired if you go into a noisy conference hall and you're wearing hearing aids good luck to you like that's a noisy environment that's just hell if you've got good hearing, uh, let alone, you know, with hearing aids, that's a, that's an environment that is absolute hell to try and make yourself understood in. You're basically screaming into somebody else's ear to make yourself understood. I mean, I, I personally never thrived in that environment. I know people who love that. And, but for me, it just like, that doesn't work. I, I don't work. I don't like that kind of networking. Yeah. I, I, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, Elias, but I think, and I'm going to queue up this silently in the background i think that's probably a, a good enough excuse for us to finish i was meant to last for it to last 45 minutes um, <laughs> we it, went way over we went to 55 minutes um, nice 56 minutes now so yeah we've, we've gone for quite a while um as we rip on the people that go overtime, we went over time i love it you know what i was just thinking exactly that um <laughs> So this, so this was an experiment for something I'm going to do every Tuesday for a little while. I'm going to do a 45 minutes. Um, 45 minutes around time with a conversation with somebody interesting or somebody that I know or, to be honest, somebody who just finds me on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much, Elias. Uh, let's chat again soon. You bet. This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much, man. <laughs>